Thank you so much for tuning in to this inaugural episode of the Crave Nutrition RD podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay McCoy. And for those of you I haven't had the pleasure of connecting with yet, let me introduce myself. I'm a registered dietitian and board certified specialist in sports dietetics and owner of Crave Nutrition RD, a private nutrition practice located in Cheyenne, Wyoming, that's focused on helping adults build sustainable habits in nutrition, fitness, and happiness to lower chronic disease. So this podcast is really an opportunity to delve into those hot topics in the field of nutrition today. I know my clients are coming to me with these questions, these burning questions that they are fed up with trying to find answers to. And at that point, you know, by the time somebody comes to see me or another, you know, healthcare professional, they've probably gone through a million different channels looking for answers and they're just looking for help to solve their problem. And so this is what the podcast is going to be about. We're going to talk about those problems. We're going to talk about, you know, the confusing nutrition misinformation in our world today. I'm going to be interviewing peers and colleagues about the work that they do in the health and wellness space and how they help their patients, their clients. So stay tuned. I'm really thrilled to introduce this podcast and today's episode in particular Without further ado, let's just jump right into this very first episode of the Crave Nutrition RD podcast. And what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're at the cusp of a new year. We've turned the corner on the holidays. Maybe we have a fresh new planner that's blank and ready to be filled up. And a lot this time, a lot of us are thinking about New Year's resolutions or personal goals that we want to achieve in 2020. Some of the most common resolutions people set are to lose weight or save money or both. And what we're going to talk about today is, yes, this is a nutrition podcast. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about behavioral strategies and nutrition and why the similarities between those two resolutions, like there's more in common than you would probably expect. So first I'm going to start off with why I actually think setting the goal to lose weight is pretty useless. Um, We're going to talk about two key similarities between losing weight and saving money. And then I'm going to provide you with some actions you can actually take, a few actions that you could implement, you can trial, you can experiment with, that if you want to lose weight, what's going to help you actually achieve that? All right, so getting started, lose weight, save money. From my perspective, there is a huge, huge problem with setting these two things as goals. Anybody want to take a guess? The biggest problem that I see with setting the goal to lose weight or save money, is that you can't actually do either of those things. You might be thinking like, whoa, 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 hold up. Of course you could lose weight. Of course you can save money. People do it all the time. But my biggest problem with setting, you know, this goal of lose weight is that you literally cannot go out and just lose weight. That's not an action you can take. That's not a, you know, a thing you do. That's not a behavior you have. You don't lose weight. Um, Weight loss is an outcome. You know, you can change your habits, your routines, your behaviors, and that may result in weight loss. It may not. Um, Either way, you don't directly control that outcome. You can only influence outcomes. And so I think it's actually pretty empowering when you think about the fact that skills that are useful in one area of your life are applicable to many areas of your life. So in this example, if you want to lose weight, if you want to pay off debt or save money, there's a lot of similarities in the skills that it takes to achieve those 
outcomes because they're not in and of themselves things that you do. You can only look at the actions you take, the strategies that you have in place, um, the behaviors that you have in place. And there's a lot of similarities between the two. All right, starting with key similarity number one between these two resolutions to lose money, no, lose weight or save money. I think we would both prefer any of like either of those latter two. Um, the a key similarity is recognizing that there's no one singular approach to achieve either of those outcomes. Um, if you were to head down to a bookstore or or better yet your local library, you can find shelf upon shelf upon shelf of personal money management books and also diet, nutrition, weight loss books. And those are just books, you know, ignoring all that everything that's published, you know, online or in news articles. That alone is a huge indicator that there's no one way to go about achieving either of those things. Let me give you a couple examples. Let's say that you are trying to repay debt. And there's two really popular approaches that are used right now. One's called the avalanche method and one is called the snowball method. In both of those, you know, debt repayment models, you pay your minimum amounts towards all your debts and then In the snowball method, any extra money that you have for debt repayment goes towards your smallest debt and you snowball from there. In avalanche method, any extra money goes towards your highest interest rate debt and it cascades down from there. People will argue about the pros and cons, the merits of each, um, but at the end of the day, they're both helping people pay off debt. So it's not necessarily which one's right, but it's going to be which one is right for the individual. And it's From my perspective, it's the same in nutrition. A nutrition example is looking at all of these different diet, weight loss books. You know, you can find keto for weight loss, vegan for weight loss, Whole30 for weight loss, or WW, Weight Watchers. All of these are different programs with different structures and rules and approaches. And we're not even getting into the pros, but really mostly cons about all these approaches. We're just recognizing that There's a lot of approaches to try to achieve weight loss, and sometimes it's not about what's right. It's about what's right for the individual, what's right for you. So that's the first similarity between losing weight and saving money. The second similarity in achieving weight loss or money saved is that to be successful, you really have to zoom out before you zoom in. What the heck do I mean by that? Well, picture a a 1,000-piece puzzle. And picture, you know, dumping out a box of puzzle pieces and they're scattered everywhere. Some are upside down, some are, you know, turned every which way, sideways, they're stacked on top of each other. In this day and age, it's really common for us to focus on a single piece of the puzzle without stepping back to look at the whole picture. Let me give you a couple examples. So in debt repayment, a very common topic or a hot topic that people like to talk about is how much money is spent on beverages, specifically like coffee shop beverages. I know I've seen those articles on Facebook or news articles talking about how much, you know, hundreds if not thousands of dollars the average person spends at a coffee shop each year. I know there's a very popular like personal finance book that talks about the latte factor of like how much money is spent on lattes. And that's a single piece of a much larger puzzle. Like I can tell you, let's say I go to Starbucks maybe once a week, I spend $5 on a latte, 52 weeks a year, that's like $260 a year. So if I were to cut out lattes, you know, cut out coffee shop spending, sure, I could save $260. Well, 
Or I could also shop around for car insurance and maybe get a lower rate and save $300 a year on my car insurance. So focusing on a single piece of the puzzle without looking at the bigger picture can do us a disservice when we're thinking about what actions we're going to take to achieve these outcomes. I'm also going to give you a good nutrition example. So if you are on any sort of social media, if you're on Facebook or Instagram or Pinterest or you read a magazine or you read a newspaper or you watch the news or you listen to the radio or you stand in line at the checkout center of your grocery store, like you've been inundated with these messages. I know you've seen headlines like, Carrots have too much sugar and we should only be drinking alkaline water. And those headlines, like they are flashy and they're attention grabbing and they quite literally sell in our day and age, but they're doing us such a disservice. You know, we've gotten so worked up over these singular pieces of misinformation, like nutrition misinformation, that we now look at carrots skeptically, like do carrots have too much sugar? Oh my gosh, it's a vegetable, it's a carrot. How have we gotten to this point in our society that we are afraid of a carrot? I share these examples to really show how we currently tend to focus on maybe single pieces of the puzzle without stepping back and looking at the bigger picture, but that's such a key behavior to have, of to pause and sort of like assess, the, to make sure that you know whatever steps we're taking are going to be serving us, that it's not some random like do this because it's the one piece that this headline is focused on, but it's are we taking action that's going to be right for us. All right, now that we've talked about why the resolution to lose weight is pretty useless and there's a lot of similarities between that resolution and other popular goals that really demonstrate how, you know, the skills in one are applicable in in other areas of our life. Um, Hopefully that's an empowering way to think about the skills that you already have and use to manage your life to be where you're at now um, will help you if you want to lose weight, if you want to change your nutrition habit. So let's talk about that. If you've set a nutrition goal for yourself, a New Year's resolution, perhaps to lose weight, let's talk about actions you can take to achieve those outcomes. All right, action step number one. If you've set you know, a resolution or a goal to lose weight or change up your nutrition habits, the first step I recommend is doing a little self-reflection, you know, a little soul searching and answer the question of what is your ideal picture of health? You know, what's your own definition of health and happiness for you? I think this is a really important question to ask because... Anytime somebody contacts my practice to schedule an appointment, I always ask, why are you seeking help? You know, what problem are you looking to get help with? And the two most common reasons people look to schedule an appointment are they want me to tell them, you know, the quote unquote right thing to eat and they want help losing weight. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. We already know that there's not necessarily a right way to eat. There's only what's right for the individual. And you know you. You, Dietitians or physicians, um, healthcare professionals may know about their respective jobs, but we still don't know about you. Only you can define your ideal life. Along with that, let's say you have a desire to lose weight. In my experience as a dietitian, I can't really think of a client that truly actually ever cared what the number on the scale said. 
So many people say they want to lose weight, but it's not about the number on the scale. It's about what that number represents. And so when I hear somebody say like, oh, I want to lose weight, what I'm really hearing is there's this ideal vision of a future self that doesn't match current reality. And so defining that vision of yourself, you know, when you think of an ideal picture of health and happiness for you, paint that picture literally. How do you feel? What activities are you doing? Um, How do you feel when you're alone or with your spouse or in public? I can tell you, you know, many people that say that come to me and want to lose weight, they want to feel more comfortable sitting in seats. I can tell you many clients have told me that they want to be able to comfortably sit in like an airplane seat, a stadium seat, um, a public transit seat, and not feel like they're taking up more than their fair share of space. Um, Or they don't want people's public eyes judging them for that. So it's not necessarily the smaller weight or the smaller number on the scale. It's, you know, living a life free of these burdens that have been experienced. And that's why I encourage self-reflection on what that picture of health and happiness looks like, because it's not about the weight loss. It's about what that represents in this future ideal life. The clearer you get about that picture, the better you're able to sort of determine the progress that you're making towards it. Um, And also you're better able to ask for help in getting there. All right, key action step number two is going to be zoom out and inventory your own lifestyle, your own routine, your own habits. You're really going to, you know, assess where you're starting from. You only you can define that future ideal vision of where you want to be. And really only you can tell where you're currently starting at. So just like if you were, you know, looking to make changes in your personal finances, you might check your pay stubs, you might save receipts to look at your spending. I recommend taking stock, inventorying your health habits, specifically your nutrition habits, by keeping a journal. And you may have heard of food journals or food logs in the past. Uh, You may have attempted things like MyFitnessPal or other food tracking apps. But I don't just encourage a food journal, I encourage a food and mood journal. What is that? I have my clients do this. I have them keep a food and mood journal, usually about three days up to a week. And it's a challenge. It's a new approach. Take, for example, writing down a breakfast meal. If you were to just keep a food journal, you might write down breakfast, granola bar, 8 a.m. The idea of keeping a food and mood journal is to look at a little bit more of your thoughts, your decision making, the language surrounding your food choices, and why you have that habit in place. So let's say you did have a granola bar for breakfast. For a food and mood journal, you'd write down, had a granola bar for breakfast. But you might also write down, chose that because... I was rushed throughout the door. I just needed to grab something to eat on my way to work. But I felt bad because I heard I'm not supposed to eat in the car. And a granola bar is probably not the most healthy breakfast. Like, I'm sure there's so much added sugar. And I felt guilty having it, but I was starving by 10 a.m. There's a lot more context to that choice of why that was a particular food choice you have. It wasn't just, you know, eating the granola bar because we don't just eat nutrients, we eat food and we make food choices based off of our own values and beliefs and um, 
what's available to us. Like there's so many decisions that go into our food choices that keeping a food and mood journal can help us start to see some of those thoughts a little more clearly and help us take inventory of what routines do we currently have and why do they have why do we have these routines so i do recommend if you're going to do this you know my clients tell me it's a challenge not just the act of keeping the journal but the brutal honesty of it uh, i do usually recommend good bad or ugly write it down you know so many times people skip writing entries because there's a running commentary in their head of saying, oh, I didn't want to write it down because it was bad and I knew like I shouldn't have eaten that. Well, when you write it down, you get it out of your head, you get it on the paper, you get it out of your head and you walk away for a few days. What's interesting to me as a professional is the review process of this. When clients come back to me and they like review their food and mood journal, just like you would review your food and mood journal on your own, What typically happens during the review process is my clients are always their own harshest critics and they point out everything that is bad or wrong with what they ate. It's a very negative viewpoint looking at this food and mood journal. So much so that after going over that food and mood journal and sort of, you know, having that first pass over where people are looking at everything that's wrong, I will ask, What makes you proud about your current routines, your current habits? Like when you look at your food and mood journal, tell me something good about it. More often than not, unfortunately, people can struggle to come up with a single positive attribute about what they're currently doing for themselves. But let me point this out. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm pretty sure you're interested in making some sort of health and nutrition change. I am going to point out, though, that in the United States of America, if you are listening to this, you're over 21 years of age, you can go down to your local corner store. You can purchase a carton of cigarettes, a handle of liquor. You can buy armfuls of ultra-processed snack foods, candy bars, um, potato chips, whatever you want. You could go home. You could eat all of that and feel miserable. Like, that's an option. That's a very legitimate option to do. But I'm guessing if you're listening to this, that's not something you do. Um, We don't give ourselves credit for the health-promoting behaviors that we have. So much of nutrition and health is viewed as a very negative, restriction-focused activity that it can be hard to point out the good. But ask yourself, what about your current routines is going right What are you doing well? Maybe you're taking care of yourself. Maybe you're taking care of a spouse or children. Um, You're showing up to work. You're drinking water. Point out what's going well. All right, to sum this up, action point number two is to zoom out, take inventory of your current routines just to assess where you're starting at when you want to make these nutrition changes. All right, and this brings us to our final action point number three. And you can see these build off of each other. Action point number one was to define this ideal future vision of you. Where do you want to go? Action point number two is to zoom out and assess your current lifestyle, your current habits, your current routines. Where are you starting at? And now action point number three is that in between. Going from where you are now to where you want to be. What steps are you actually going to have to take? Um, Now that you've zoomed out, you've seen your bigger picture, you can zoom back in and focus on the individual pieces that you're looking at next to get you there. With this, I will say 
if you're focused, you know, on this thousand plus piece puzzle of nutrition, scale it back and only focus on one to two or three pieces at a time. You have lived decades of life. You have your habits, your routine, your lifestyle. Those are ingrained and built up. You're not suddenly going to become this future version of yourself overnight. You know, that future version of you, and even just to get there, you have to go through the process of getting there. So focusing on one to three pieces at a time is going to serve you well. When you are thinking about these pieces and what steps that you need to take to go from where you're at now to where you want to be, you may have heard to set SMART goals. SMART, in the context of goal setting, is an acronym that stands for Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Relevant, and Timely. It's a way to look at setting goals for yourself that aren't just like a generic goal of like lose weight or drink more water, but it's a way to dial in and give yourself yes or no goals. Did you meet this? So for example, let's say you have a goal to like drink more water. You've you know assessed your routines, you are prioritizing other beverages besides water, or you're just not drinking a lot of fluids whatsoever. And in this future vision of you, that person's very hydrated. So you've identified that, hey, the current routines that you have in terms of the beverages that you choose or the fluid, the amount of fluids that you drink is not matching up to that vision. Well, how are you going to close that gap? How are you going to get from where you're at now to that future vision of you? So setting a SMART goal is looking at not just saying, I'm going to drink more water, but saying, I'm going to drink a 32 ounce water bottle before lunchtime. And I'm going to do this by setting the water bottle by my keys. So I sip it on my drive to work and at my desk. That's a much better goal because instead of just saying drink more water, you can actually answer yes or no. Did you achieve that goal? When you're focused on that singular piece of this massive puzzle, you can have confidence in at least that one piece, that yes or no, you met the goal you set for yourself. So in addition to making you know, really concrete, smart goals, I help my clients set something I call seven level goals. What I mean by this is you need to actually be confident in your goal too. When you set a goal, especially a SMART goal, take a step back and ask, on a scale of 1 to 10, how confident do you feel that you can actually achieve that? I love the scaling technique. I think it puts it into good perspective. Let me give you an example. I was working with a young man recently who hasn't really been prioritizing meals, been skipping a lot of meals, um, struggled to figure find time to like cook and prepare foods but he was interested in meal prepping more for himself and so if he had set the goal of like our based off of our first appointment if he was going to go home cook gourmet four course meals for breakfast lunch and dinner um, seven days a week he's never going to go out to eat he's never going to rely on any more frozen foods if I pitched that idea to him and asked him on a scale of one to ten how confident does he feel about that? Um, his real life answer was he felt like a two about that. Appropriately so. That's a ridiculous goal. Um, if you assess your confidence level and the confidence level is a two on a scale of one to ten, that's a big red flag that it's not an actual good goal. You're just setting yourself up for failure. On the flip side, let's say you set a goal and you're saying you feel like it's a ten, like absolutely. Honestly, 
that's a point when I step in and kind of offer a reality check. If a goal is a 10, you're really not thinking through the challenges of implementing this change. It's behavior change is hard and achieving these outcomes is difficult. If it's a 10, you'd be doing it already. So ideally, when you set a goal for yourself, you want to set a seven level goal. You feel really confident, you have resources available to you, you understand your goal, you've identified you know, when you're going to make that goal happen. It's a very specific goal. You can measure yes or no, did you achieve it? You recognize that it's change and change is hard and there's probably going to be some things that come up in your life that make achieving that goal a little bit difficult, but you feel pretty committed and pretty able to overcome those challenges and keep moving forward. So that's what I call a seven level goal in terms of action steps. All right, everybody, we're wrapping up this episode where it's the new year. A lot of people are focused on New Year's resolutions and a lot of people set the resolution or the goal to lose weight. Unfortunately, you can't directly lose weight. That's not an action you can take. But encouragingly, skills that you already have where you manage other aspects of your life can be transferred into this you know, the behaviors that you need or the actions that you're going to take in order to lose weight as an outcome. And a few actions that I can recommend are first to reflect on your own definition of health and happiness, you know, really get a clear picture on that future version of you or where you want to go. The next step, action step number two is to take inventory, assess your current lifestyle, your current routine, where you're starting at. And then that step three is what do you have to do in between where you're at now versus where you want to go focus on the first, you know, one, two, maybe three steps that you feel confident taking to put you on that path of the goal that you want to achieve. Thank you so much for listening in on this very first episode of the Crave Nutrition RD podcast. If you like what you heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Um, We'll be coming out with more episodes, including an upcoming guest interview with Kayla Hansman, also known as Cincy Fit Foodie, where I'm going to be interviewing her, talking more about her approach to lifestyle performance. Already, I can hardly wait to have her on the show. If you have questions or comments about this show, I will say my inbox is always open. You're more than welcome to message me. You can find Crave Nutrition RD on Facebook and Instagram at Crave Nutrition RD or check out the website CraveNutritionRD.com. Thank you again for joining me today and I can't wait to have you back. Bye.